To get this episode of Forensic Tales ad-free, check us out at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Forensic Tales discusses topics that some listeners may find disturbing. The contents of this episode may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Witches don't like it when you kill their cats. The eerie words spray-painted on a shack in a remote part of Oklahoma. Months later, the family just disappears. Was this the work of a satanic cult? Or someone or something far more sinister? This is Forensic Tales, episode number 108, The Mysterious Disappearance of the Jameson Family. Welcome to Forensic Tales. I'm your host, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. Forensic Tales is a weekly true crime podcast covering real, spine-tingling stories with a forensic science twist. Some cases have been solved with forensic science, while others have turned cold. Every remarkable story sends us a chilling reminder that not all stories have happy endings. Sharing true crime stories isn't just about the story themselves. It's about getting justice for the victims and their families. True crime helps hold criminals accountable so they can't continue to cause us harm. As a one-woman show, your support helps me find new exciting cases, conduct in-depth fact-based research, produce and edit this weekly show. And for supporting the show, You'll get early ad-free access to weekly episodes, exclusive merchandise not available anywhere else, bonus content, shout-outs and episodes, and priority on case suggestions. Before we get to the episode, we've got a brand new supporter that I want to thank. Thank you so much, Suzanne F., all the way from Germany. Thanks, Suzanne. To learn more about supporting Forensic Tales, consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or by simply clicking the support link in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving a positive rating with a review. Please continue to tell your friends and family who love true crime about us. Now, let's jump right into this week's case. On October 17, 2009, a group of hunters on dirt bikes set out to go hunting for the day in a remote part of Latimer County, Oklahoma, a spot just northwest of Red Oak, Oklahoma. While the group of hunters rode their bikes down a dirt road in the woods, they came across a parked vehicle that looked like someone had pushed it off the main road. The vehicle was a white pickup truck that looked like it might belong to another group of hunters. But when the hunters approached the pickup truck, they encountered something bizarre. In the back seat was a dog clinging to life. The dog was so severely malnourished and barely breathing. It looked like it had been without a sip of water for days. But if the pickup truck belonged to hunters in the area, why did they leave their dog behind without food or water? 
The hunters realized that the vehicle likely didn't belong to hunters, and it looked like it had been parked there in the woods for several days. So the hunters immediately picked up the phone and called the Latimer County Sheriff's Department. When the Sheriff's Department first received the phone call, they thought the car was likely just stolen and dumped in the woods earlier that day. The police locate the vehicle in a remote area, an ideal place to leave a stolen vehicle. When the police arrived at the truck, someone had locked it. So to get the dog out, the officers had to break the window. Even though the dog had been without food or water for at least one week, it somehow managed to survive. But who were the dog's owners? The police found two IDs, two wallets, cell phones, and a GPS inside the pickup truck. They also found a couple of jackets and some extra clothes. The IDs belonged to 44-year-old Bobby Jameson and 40-year-old Sherilyn Jameson. The Jamesons were the registered owners of the truck. Once the police identified the truck's owners, they reached out to family and neighbors to try and figure out where they might be. During these interviews, they learned that Bobby, his wife, Sherilyn, their six-year-old daughter, Madison, and the family dog, Maisie, loaded up their pickup truck to head out into the mountains on October 8, 2009. The Jamesons headed out there because they were thinking about buying a 40-acre plot near Red Oak, Oklahoma, a property that was about 30 miles away from their home. They planned to check out the land to help them decide if this was going to be the right place for their family. They already owned a storage shed on the property. They would go out there and live in the portable storage shed until they had another house built. Although the family was living in what many described as a nice lakefront home, the family wanted to start fresh in the wilderness. According to family and friends, the Jamesons set out on this trip over a week ago, and no one had heard or seen from them since. This means this entire family, a husband, wife, and a six-year-old daughter, have been missing for eight days. You might be wondering... Why didn't anyone report this family and their dog missing earlier? This family has been gone for a week and no one has seen or heard from them. Well, according to the family and friends that the police interviewed, the Jamesons were known to do this every once in a while. They had a history of simply falling off the radar. They would sometimes be gone for a week or two at a time and they wouldn't have any contact with anyone until they got back home. Plus, Bobby and Sherilyn had already permanently pulled their daughter Madison out from school because they were planning to move to the mountains. So it wasn't like Madison's school would just pick up the phone and call the parents and wonder why she wasn't in school because she had already been pulled out. The Jamesons were a religious family who kept to themselves. Some people would even describe them as a little odd. They had a home on a lakefront. It was a pretty large property. But on the property, they had some unusual things that their neighbors weren't too crazy about having to look at every single day, like a portable storage unit that had spray-painted writings about cats. It said things like, quote, the neighbors have poisoned our cats, and witches don't like it when you kill their cats, end quote. 
The spray-painted writings were discovered to be Sherilyn's writings. She was the one who wrote about the cats. So, understandably, many of their neighbors simply avoided the Jamesons. According to one of Sherilyn's friends, a lady named Nikki Sheenold, Sherilyn believed that their neighbors had intentionally poisoned and killed three of the family's cats. So she wrote on the storage unit on their property to basically scare the neighbors off from coming onto their property and poisoning their pets. As far as the writing about witches don't like it when you kill their cats, well, Sherilyn's same friend said that they were both interested in witches and witchcraft. It was just a hobby and something that they were both interested in. It was something they bonded over as friends. Not that they thought they were witches or anything like that. It was just a hobby. But according to Nikki, Sherilyn's close friend, Sherilyn probably wrote that just to scare the neighbors off and not have them come on the property and what they believed kill their cats. Shortly before Jamison's family's disappearance, Bobby and Sherilyn spoke to their pastor about their house being haunted. They thought dark spirits had invaded their home and that they needed to perform an exorcism. This whole idea that their house was haunted started because their daughter Madison had recently begun talking to this imaginary friend of hers. Now, I think we all had imaginary friends when we were six years old. I know I did. And I don't think many parents would be too concerned about it. It's quite common for kids her age to basically have this imaginary world that they live in and have a couple imaginary friends that they talk to. But when Bobby and Sherilyn heard their daughter in her bedroom talking to this imaginary friend, they interpreted it as a dark spirit was living inside their house. So during one of these meetings with their pastor, Bobby asked him if he knew of anywhere where he could buy, quote, special bullets to get rid of these dark spirits. He said he had at least two to four ghosts that were living on his roof. Sherilyn, his wife, also bought a satanic Bible during this time. Now, she allegedly bought it as a joke, but the truth behind that purchase remains unknown. Three months before the family went missing, in July of 2009, Sherilyn's ex-husband from her previous marriage took full custody of their son, Colton. Colton, who was 12 years old at the time, said during a custody hearing that he wanted to go live with his dad because his mom seemed, quote, very depressed and that she often acted strangely. Those are his words in court. So in July 2009, the court granted Sherilyn's ex-husband full custody of their son, Colton. Although it seemed like no one was out there looking for this family, the Latimer County Sheriff's Department was concerned. Not only are they dealing with two missing adults, but you've also got a missing six-year-old little girl. Anytime a child, especially that young, goes missing, it's going to intensify the search efforts. Because the family had been missing for seven, eight days by the time someone notified the police, they knew that they needed to act quickly. Plus, 
It seemed highly unlikely that the family voluntarily abandoned their vehicle for a week and left their dog behind. All of this seemed to point towards the possibility of foul play. Authorities launched a massive search operation. In the beginning, more than 100 law enforcement officers were called to the mountains. They brought in helicopters to search by air. They enlisted the help of hundreds of volunteers in the area. They used search and rescue dogs to try and pick up the scent of the family. ATVs, drones, horses, all to help find this missing family. But nothing turned up. There was no sign of the Jamesons. While search crews roamed the area, authorities went back and searched the vehicle for a second time. This time, they made an unusual discovery. Underneath the driver's seat, the police found a bank envelope. Inside the envelope, they found $32 in cash. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never once had that much money on me in cash. I barely carry around $20 in cash. We do know that the family was out there in the mountains going out there to look at some property that they were thinking about buying. So maybe they had that amount of cash with them because they were going to use it to buy the land. But Bobby and Sherilyn were on disability. So their primary source of income was coming in from disability benefits. Back in 2003, a few years earlier, Bobby had been involved in a really bad car accident that left him with chronic back pain and unable to hold down a job. So ever since the car accident, most of the family's money came from disability insurance. Sherilyn, his wife, also wasn't able to work. She reportedly suffered from a severe case of bipolar disorder and was prescribed medication that caused her to be unable to work. However, friends and family told the authorities that Sherilyn had a history of not taking her bipolar medication, which would often cause severe episodes of depression. So because the police knew the family relied on disability benefits, it did seem a little odd to them for this family to have $32,000 in cash stuffed inside an envelope underneath the driver's seat to begin with. They just weren't a family who was known to carry around that much cash. The police also found an 11-page letter inside the pickup truck, a letter that could only be described as a hate letter. Written by Sherilyn to her husband, Bobby, the letter stated how he doesn't care enough about their daughter, how he's a loner, he's a hermit. The letter basically listed out everything she hated about him. She also wrote that she planned to file for divorce. Investigators didn't find any signs of a struggle either in or out of the truck. Everything seemed normal besides common trash everywhere inside, like old food wrappers. They didn't find any blood or broken glass. The truck's tank was full of gas and perfectly working. They also didn't find any evidence that suggested the car had been in some sort of accident. The truck was locked when the police arrived, so it was like the family had simply walked away from it. After the search of the area turned up nothing, 
The authorities turned to the couple's GPS and cell phones found inside the truck. The records confirmed that Bobby and Sherilyn met with an associate of the landowner. After that meeting, the family parked the truck and went on a 15-minute walk around the area. They found a spot on a hillside where they stayed just for a little while before heading back to the truck. Once they got back to the truck, they drove a little farther down the road and parked it where the hunters would later find it. After that, their whereabouts remain a mystery. Because wherever that family went, they didn't bring their GPS, cell phones, or their dog. Hey, Forensic Tales listeners, Courtney here. Do you hate listening to ads? Well, you can listen to every single episode of this show ad-free through Patreon, starting for just $3 a month. And what's great? You don't have to change how you listen. You can still enjoy ad-free episodes of Forensic Tales through most podcast apps. As a patron, you'll also get other great perks, like weekly bonus episodes, This is where I give you my reaction to each week's story that I don't share in regular episodes. But more importantly, your support means I can continue to deliver high-quality weekly true crime stories. Don't forget, Forensic Tales is just a one-woman show. If you're interested in learning more, go to patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. That's patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. There's also a link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. On Bobby's cell phone that was left inside the truck, the police found a photograph of the couple's daughter, Madison. This image is one of the many aspects of this case that is so, so troubling. And it's one of the aspects to this case that is widely talked about on the internet. If you've heard about this case prior to coming into this episode today, then you have probably heard about this or you've seen the actual photograph. So this photo, again, taken of six-year-old Madison, it was found on Bobby's cell phone, was taken by someone on the hilltop where they stopped that afternoon. Some people say that Madison looks scared in the photo. She looks frightened. Others say that it's more of a candid shot and that whoever took the photo maybe caught her in between expressions. Now, to me, it definitely looks like Madison is either in between facial expressions or maybe she's saying something. She has her hands crossed, but it's tough to tell whether she looks scared or not or if she's frightened, but she definitely could be. Now, I highly recommend that you look at it for yourself. I'll post the image to our website, ForensicTales.com, so that you can take a look and you can see what you think. So the sheriff's department finished their search of the area. Initially, the police didn't suspect murder or any kind of foul play. And without any bodies, there is no case. So after days of searching for the family, the sheriff's department called off the search. After they called off the search, the police got their hands on the family's security cameras mounted outside their home. The family had recently installed the security cameras because of a dispute with Bobby's father. 
So five months before their disappearance, in May 2009, Bobby filed a civil lawsuit against his father, Bob Dean Jameson. The lawsuit alleged that Bobby worked for free at his parents' Oklahoma City gas station. According to Bobby's side of the lawsuit, the deal was for Bobby to work at the gas station for free, but he would get half the money from any sale. So when the family decided to sell this gas station, they didn't give him his half of the money, at least according to Bobby's argument. And when he didn't get the money, that's when Bobby filed the lawsuit against his father. The same month that Bobby filed the lawsuit, he also filed a protective order against his father. In the protective order, Bobby told the court that his father had threatened the family on at least two occasions, one in November 2008 and one in April 2009. According to Bobby, his father threatened to kill his family if he didn't drop the civil lawsuit. While the protective order was pending, the Jamensons decided to install security cameras just in case Bob Dean went through with his threats. So these detectives working the missing family case, these detectives got their hands on these security cameras and they found the tape that recorded the infamous day. Of course, the infamous day I'm referring to is when the families went missing. Now, the security camera footage is another popular aspect of this case that is widely talked about on the internet. So the video showed Bobby and Sherilyn going back and forth from their house to their pickup truck. They're going back and forth, loading the truck up with stuff, bags, boxes, suitcases, you name it. They probably go to the truck about 20 different times. This video is talked about so, so much because some people think that Bobby and Shara Lynn look dazed. They look like they are walking in a trance-like state. Some even point out that Bobby looks a lot skinnier than he usually did. What's also bizarre is that you don't see Bobby and Sherilyn talking to each other. Instead, it's like they're both walking back and forth in a complete daze, not speaking or even looking at each other. There's even a couple of times where they stopped and just stood there with a blank expression. Now, when I watched the video, I couldn't tell much, to be honest. To me, Bobby and Sherilyn look like they're walking normally, and I don't know if Bobby lost a ton of weight or not. But I don't know them. Maybe they are walking unusual, or at least different than how they normally walked. Maybe they always stop and looked at each other and they talked all the time. So maybe it was out of the ordinary that they were just kind of walking back and forth, not looking at each other, not talking. So it's hard for me to tell. And just like with the photograph of Madison on Bobby's cell phone, I'll post this clip. It's not very long. It's like 20, 30 seconds, but I'll close post the clip on our website so that way you can check that out as well. But there is one aspect of the video that I do want to touch on real quick. So besides their odd behavior, 
They're seen putting a small brown briefcase inside the pickup truck. But when the police finished their search of the truck, they never recovered that briefcase. They also never found the 22 caliber handgun belonging to Sherilyn. The police believe that both items were taken from the truck when the family went missing. And to this day, that briefcase and that 22 caliber handgun have never been recovered. The Jamesons remained missing for the next four years. No one ever heard or saw the family until November 16th, 2013. In November 2013, a group of hikers stumbled upon human skeletal remains just three miles away from where the authorities found the truck. Officers collected the remains and sent them to the forensics lab. They recovered the remains of two adults and one child. When the news broke about this discovery, many people believed that it was this family, but police still needed a positive ID. Because the remains were badly decomposed, investigators used forensic pathological and anthropological testing. If these remains did in fact belong to the Jamesons, that meant the bodies had been out there in the wilderness for over four years. So when I say the bodies were badly decomposed, I mean that there were only bones left. When forensic anthropologists study skeletal remains, they're going to try and identify five basic things. The victim's age, sex, stature, ancestry, and any unique features. By identifying any or all of these details, investigators can determine the victim. But how do they figure out someone's age or sex when they only have bones? Well, there are several techniques. Forensic anthropologists can make clay or graphic facial reproductions. This process involves taking the victim's skull and recreating what their face may have looked like. They may even cast the skeletal remains to create molds. They might rehydrate certain pieces of decayed soft tissue. In addition to victim identification, forensic anthropologists also help identify cause of death. Skeletal remains can sometimes identify a fatal injury like blunt force trauma or a gunshot. In this case, it took forensic anthropologists over six months to identify these three sets of remains. Although everyone believed that it was this family based on the circumstances, you can't just assume. They had to do all the forensic testing to be 100% sure. So finally, on July 3rd, 2014, officials confirmed that the remains belonged to Bobby, Sherilyn, and their daughter, Madison. So now we've got an identification, but what about the cause of death? What happened to them when they left their pickup truck that day? The simple answer is, we don't know. So let's start with the cause of death. Even though forensic pathologists identified the remains, they couldn't pinpoint a cause of death for anyone. Because the bodies were heavily decomposed, we don't know how they died. We can't tell if they were shot or stabbed. Nothing. The only small hint to a possible cause of death was on Bobby's remains. Pathologists found a small hole in his skull that to them resembled a bullet wound, 
but we don't know that for sure. The hole in his skull could have gotten there some other way. Besides that, investigators had nothing. There weren't enough remains left to definitively say that someone was shot. Next, I want to talk about where the bodies were found. We know that hikers discovered the remains about three miles away from the truck. With 100 police officers searching that area, how come they didn't find anything four years earlier? After conducting an extensive search of the area, how do you miss three bodies, two adults and a small child? Remember, this was a massive search party. The police brought in every resource possible, drones, helicopters, search and rescue canines, they had it all. So why didn't they find them? The only explanation that's been offered by the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation is that leaves, as well as the terrain in the area, might have hidden the bodies from sight. It's possible that searchers just simply missed them four years ago. Not being able to identify a cause of death was frustrating. Police were baffled. The discovery of the bodies only confirmed people's suspicion that they were dead, since it had been over four years since they disappeared. But it didn't answer the golden question. What happened to this family? What exactly happened to Bobby, Sherilyn, and their daughter remains a mystery. But there's been no shortage of possible theories. The first theory is that they had become victims of a cult. This theory mainly ties back to the security footage of Bobby and Sherilyn packing up the truck before heading out that day. People who believe in this quote-unquote cult theory point to their trance-like movements going back and forth between the house and the truck that day. At times, they even stopped and just stared at each other. Other people suggest that maybe drugs were involved, and drugs can explain the trance-like movements. So to piggyback on this cult theory, some people specifically argue that the Jamensons were members of a satanic cult, and that's why someone killed them. This has become a pretty popular theory, because even Sherilyn's own mother— has come out and claimed that her daughter, son-in-law, and granddaughter were on an Oklahoma cult hit list. She believes that the part of Oklahoma where the family lived is known for satanic cults. In her own words to reporters, her mom said, quote, that that part of Oklahoma is known for that, cults and stuff like that. From what I've been told and from what I've read, I was told that around the time of Sherilyn's disappearance that she was on a cult's hit list, end quote. Unfortunately, when reporters asked her mom, well, which cult is she referring to? She didn't provide them with names. And since then, the police have never been able to find any links or find any ties between the family's deaths with any cults, whether that's satanic or not or otherwise. No cult involvement. A second theory is that this was a murder-suicide. We know that Sherilyn owned a 22 caliber pistol and that investigators never found it. 
We also know that there were problems in their marriage. That was very clear by that 11-page hate letter that they found inside the truck that day. The one where Sherilyn wrote to Bobby and basically outlined everything she hated about him. Then there's the autopsy. Even though we don't know for sure, the pathologist did find a small hole in Bobby's skull that may or may not be a bullet wound. But one problem with this theory is that neither Sherilyn nor Madison had any bullets to their bodies, or at least not that what we could find. But then there's also another problem. The gun. The gun's never been found. If this were a murder-suicide, you would expect to find the 22 caliber weapon somewhere near the remains. But... This problem doesn't necessarily rule this theory out because it is possible that sometime during the four years when they went missing to when their bodies were found, that someone else, a hiker, a hunter, someone just passing through the area, maybe someone came across the gun. They didn't see the bodies, but they saw the gun and took it with them. A third theory is that the family simply got lost in the woods. And they couldn't find their way back to the truck. Maybe they went out for a walk or a hike and then got lost and eventually died. Starvation, possible hypothermia. But there are three big problems with this one. Number one, why wouldn't they bring their dog with them? Most of you know by now, I'm a dog mom myself. I would never leave my dog inside the car while I went out to go for a hike or a walk. I think any dog parent would agree that you're going to take them with you. You're not going to leave them inside of a locked car all by themselves. Then problem number two, and this is something we haven't really talked about yet. When the hikers discovered the remains, the bodies were lined up next to each other, side by side with their faces down towards the ground. It almost looked like someone had killed them execution style. Finally, problem number three, Bobby's back. We talked about earlier how Bobby had been in a really bad car accident a few years earlier that left him unable to work. He was on disability. Their bodies were found three miles away from the truck. Given Bobby's back pain, it seemed very unlikely that they went out for a three-mile hike, especially a walk uphill. But the list of possible theories doesn't end there. Believe me when I said that there is not a shortage of possible explanations here. I think that's why so many people find this case so interesting and so intriguing. So other possible theories include a white supremacist killed the family. They were going into witness protection. It was a meth deal gone wrong. Their deaths were a part of a kidnapping plot. They faked their deaths and they're still alive out there somewhere. They became disoriented from carbon monoxide from their pickup truck, and their deaths were a total accident. (sighs) Okay, I told you there are a lot of possible theories, so be careful. If you Google this one, you are going to go down a rabbit hole. There are two more, though, that I do want to talk about because these seem to be the two most popular theories. So early on, many people speculated that Bobby's father was responsible for their disappearance and ultimate their murders. But if you recall, 
right before this all happened, Bobby filed a civil lawsuit against his father for basically working for free at this family-owned gas station. He claimed his father didn't pay his portion of its sell. Then after that, Bobby alleged his father had threatened to kill them if he didn't drop the lawsuit, which explained why the family decided to install those security cameras outside the house. So the theory goes, well, maybe Bobby's father made good on his threats and he was the one who killed this family. This theory is also backed by Sherilyn's mom, who claims that Bobby's father, quote, had a temper and had money, end quote. She also heard rumors that he had some connections to the Mexican mafia. So when she found out that her daughter and son-in-law were missing, she instantly thought of Bobby's father. But the police didn't believe that he was involved. Bobby's father died two months after the family went missing. At the time of their disappearance, he was in and out of the hospital with several major medical issues. At 64 years old, and again, having a handful of very serious medical problems, he just wasn't someone who would be physically, mentally capable of killing three people. We're talking about two grown adults and a six-year-old. That just doesn't make much sense. Plus, he had an airtight alibi on the afternoon the family left their house to head out to the woods. So Bobby Sr., isn't our guy. But what about this drug deal gone wrong thing? A popular theory out there is that the Jamesons were somehow involved in drug dealing. Many people who believe in this theory point to the $32,000 in cash found inside the truck. Maybe this was money they received after selling drugs or the money they were planning to use to buy more drugs. $32,000 in cash Inside an envelope is a lot of money, and it is a little strange. But we do know that they were out there looking to buy land. They wanted to buy this property where they were going to go out and live in this portable storage unit. So it's possible that they simply took the money in order to purchase the land, and it's not involved in drugs. Another reason drugs might have been involved goes back to the security footage. Many people watch Bobby and Sherilyn and think that their strange behavior could be explained by drug use. Many think they were both high. But the police never found any illegal drugs inside the family's truck. The only drugs they found were prescription pills. And between Bobby and Sherilyn, there were a lot of prescription pills. Bobby took pills for his back pain, and Sherilyn took medication for her bipolar disorder and depression. So again, there were no shortage of pill bottles inside the truck, but all of them were prescription drugs. There were no illegal drugs found in the truck. There were also no reports from family and friends that this couple did drugs or that they were ever involved in drug dealing. So if they were involved in drugs, No one in their lives knew about it. Now, authorities couldn't run any type of toxicology on the bodies to look for any type of illegal drugs because their bodies were so severely decomposed. There was nothing left to test for that. People who don't necessarily buy into this drug dealing theory point to one important thing. 
if Bobby and Sherilyn went out there in the woods that day for a drug deal, why did they bring their six-year-old daughter with them? And why did they bring the dog? You wouldn't expect parents to bring their six-year-old daughter along for a drug deal in the middle of the Oklahoma woods. Sure, maybe some people out there would, but it just seems unlikely. It just seems weird. And why make a drug deal in the middle of the woods anyway? You could just as easily make the same deal inside your home or inside someone else's home. You don't need to drive out to the middle of nowhere, park your car off the main road, and make the deal. Oh, but then leave your dog behind in the car, but take your child with you. To me, that doesn't make much sense. If you're as interested in this case as I am, be sure to look up the photo of Madison taken on Bobby's cell phone. Be sure to watch the security footage because I think the photo and security tape provides some pretty interesting clues into this case. Of course, they don't tell us what happened to this family, but I think they're both worth exploring. If you're curious to know what happened to the family's dog, which I was, when the police broke the window and recovered the family dog, it had been without food and water for a week. The dog had no access to anything other than what was found inside the truck. They also found evidence that the dog had begun eating its own feces at some point just to stay alive. Now, it's not clear how much longer this dog could have stayed alive. It was starving to death. But here's the good news. The dog survived. After this whole incident, Maisie went on to go live with Bobby's mother. This dog went to go live a healthy and normal life. Some stories do have happy endings. The official investigation into the Jameson family deaths remains open. Despite all of these years, we still don't know what happened to them or how they died. Was this a drug deal gone wrong? Did some cult kill them? We may never know. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of this family, please call the Latimer County Sheriff's Department at 918 465 4012. You can also provide the authorities with information anonymously. To share your thoughts on the Jameson family deaths, be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Forensic Tales. What do you think happened to this family? And do you think this investigation will ever be closed? To find out what I think about the case, Sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash forensic tales. After each episode, I release a bonus episode where I share my personal thoughts and opinions about the case. This is where I get the opportunity to say what I think happened to this family. To check out the photo as well as the security camera footage, be sure to head to our website, forensictales.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Forensic Tales so you don't miss an episode. We release a new episode every Monday. If you love the show, consider leaving us a positive review or tell friends and family about us. You can also help support the show through Patreon. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please join me next week. We'll have a brand new case and a brand new story to talk about. Until then, remember, 
Not all stories have happy endings. Forensic Tales is a Rockefeller audio production. The show is written and produced by me, Courtney fretwell Ariola. For a small monthly contribution, you can help create new compelling cases for the show, help fund research, and assist with production and editing costs. In addition, for supporting the show, you'll become one of the first to listen to new ad-free episodes and snag exclusive show merchandise not available anywhere else. To learn about how you can support the show, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or simply click the support link in the show notes. You can also help support the show by leaving a positive review and spreading the good word about us. A true crime friend of yours is a true crime friend of ours. Forensic Tales is a podcast made possible by our Patreon producers, Tony A., Nicole L., William R., David B., Sammy, Paula G., Selena C., Nicole G., Christine B., Christina M., and Karen D. If you'd like to become a producer of the show, head to our Patreon page or send me an email at Courtney at ForensicTales.com to find out how you can become involved. For a complete list of sources used in this episode, please visit ForensicTales.com. Thank you so much for listening. Your support means the world to me. I'll see you next week. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings.